Hello friends and welcome back. Uh, this week tackling a interesting film. We'll leave it at interesting. It's uh, had a wicked premise and uh, I remember watching this as a kid. I honestly wouldn't have been much older than eight or nine and uh, I remember being quite infatuated with it. Everything about it seemed really cool. It was like over the top, edgy, gory. And now as an adult, revisiting it, and there's some really neat little things throughout it, but yeah, I just, I can't help but also see major faults. Major, major faults. But before we really dive into my thoughts, let's take a little bit of a deeper look at the whole film itself. So this week, without further ado, let's take a look at 1997's Event Horizon. This morning, TDRS picked up an automated navigation beacon broadcasting a two-minute interval in Neptune orbit. Neptune orbit. This is incredible. It's the Event Horizon. She's come back. The Event Horizon is the culmination of a secret government project to create a spacecraft capable of faster-than-light flight. The ship doesn't really go faster than light. What it does is it creates a dimensional gateway that allows it to jump instantaneously from one point of the universe to another light years away. Where has she been for the last seven years, Doctor? That's what we're here to find out. After seven years in deep space. There were 18 people on board this ship when it disappeared. I want them all accounted for. Opening outer door. It came back abandoned. Any crew? Places of two. But it didn't come back. So yeah, 1997 sci-fi horror film directed by Paul W.S. Anderson and written by Philip Eisner, starring, of course, the one, the only, Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Neill, Kathleen Quinlan, jo Jolie Richardson, a amazing cast lineup. In fact, for 1997, these are huge names. But uh, essentially, we are, our premise is we're set in the year 2047, so not far off from our, our current uh, existence, and of course we're following a crew of astronauts sent on a rescue mission uh, to basically obtain 
what is the missing spaceship, Event Horizon. Uh, disappearing seven years earlier, it has reappeared around Neptune. And it's not responding, of course, to the radio calls. But they did pick up a distress beacon, which is quite an interesting moment in the film itself. And upon searching, the ship discover that the original crew, of course, were basically on a test of an experimental engine that opened up a rift in space-time continuum, allowing a malevolent entity to possess the ship. Now, I just want to point out, I find it really funny, the dating in this film. Um, so, of course, like I said, 2047, but there's certain events that happen throughout the movie that really date the fact that this is coming from the late 90s. I mean, we start off with them explaining that Mars has already been colonized by 2015. As I'm sure some of you are hearing, my co-host has got some opposing views on this film. But uh, what can I say? She'll have to form her thoughts down the now, as I was saying, it is so tricky to try to do a futuristic film, especially kind of near future, and sort of figure out or show any form of technology. It's either you're going to do it well, and it'll seem timeless, and it works, or, like as, as I was saying, it's hilariously dated um, from them saying, you know, 2015, Mars is colonized, uh, to when the captain... Ask, well, asks for the Captain Log uh, from the original uh, Event Horizon. And you see the character hit eject on the CD-ROM. Like, can only assume that some of you who, you know, weren't even born through the CD-ROM era. <laughs> it's just, it was quite humorous for my husband and I. Um, just the idea in 1997 that a digital file was just, that was completely out there. It just, it's kind of funny. But where they lack in trying to guess what the future looks like, this is some of the like best horror film development on characters um, and just their role. And just the fact that these guys took it so seriously, it is, it, it adds to the film. You don't really want to turn away because you're right hooked into it. Uh, and it is so well, well done on all of their parts. And that also being said, I mean, we're coming into the era where CGI was just kind of getting started. So you do see some pretty pathetic CGI moments that are really lame. But at the same time, there is some incredible shots here with um, actual, you know, miniature versions of the ships, as well as the entire gravity drive itself that somebody built that. And it is just truly amazing. You know, this gigantic spinning sphere and just all the little details and, and whatnot. Now, it's kind of interesting. This film starts off heavy on the sci-fi aspect. And then we don't really switch to the horror film till about midway through. Um, and that's basically the ship is starting to show everyone their worst, darkest secrets. Um, and the actors, you know, thank God for their experience because it really helps drive it home and it gives it some real power. It just essentially doesn't come off like it's a cliche. These guys, they're taking the shit seriously. And uh, the actors, actresses, you know, they're all there to basically kind of hook us. And without them, this film would have totally fallen apart. And I have to say, I like the way they developed things with these characters because... A lot of the time, horror films, I mean, you think of like any Friday the 13th, you really hate any of the characters. Like, you just can't stand them and you want to see them get killed. 
But a lot of the time through this one, you're sitting there like, oh no, not them. Because you're so attached to each character and their backstory. It's, it's really, uh, really interesting. Now, as I was saying that they built miniatures of the ships, it's quite interesting the history of the actual event horizon. So this is essentially meant to be a cathedral in space. And that being said, they actually based it off of the Notre Dame in France, uh, Paris to be exact. And uh, it's really fascinating, this tie of science, technology, and religion, and how they were able to bring it all together and sort of these little tiny moments and it it works so i mean for instance that the way the ship itself is laid out the long corridor the two main wings and um, this is all parts of the cathedral itself you know the long aisle and so forth even the ports themselves they use roman numerals so of course labeled as the stations of the cross and that gravity drive it's basically sort of a replica of Hellraiser's cube um, and that's kind of what inspired them this whole you know portal into basically hell it's uh, interesting to see the two kind of blend together now the gore in this film it's pretty disgusting and at the same time spectacular I mean this is 1997 so they're limited you know we're not going to go into the CGI aspect of blood and guts but we are going to try to create a hell dimension using, you know, real actors and real sort of blood guts and special effects. These are what I live for. So um, this film does not hold back in that respect, um, especially when they actually are able to defrag the captain logs and figure out what, what happened. This is like a total hellish orgy of blood and dismemberment and you actually almost need to pause the film to see exactly what you're looking at it's all meant just to well get into your head psychologically and kind of leave you going like what the fuck um it's something else I mean I haven't seen something that sort of odd and uncomfortable since say like you know society now to get this scene the way they wanted it to be they actually would end up going out to hire porn actors and amputees for this sequence and um, would actually be shot with a second team on a weekend because they had such a short, short filming uh, window as well as editing window. I think that might be why this film kind of tanked in the long run here. So um, basically, once we hit the box office, this turned out to be a huge flop. And basically, I think it basically had to do with the editing so they were in a rush um to release it due to the fact that titanic was coming out that same year so they had six weeks to come up with a finished cut now the test audiences paramount they said it was the original showing was just way too intense and would order more scenes removed so the film itself started at about 130 minutes and would be cut down to 96 minutes. And I can't help but wonder, what the heck did they cut? Uh, I mean, there it would have helped explain certain aspects, I think, that they left in the film, but never really, you know, fully explored. And uh, don't worry, we're going to talk about that. But either way, these scenes, they decided to put it into an archive, which was actually an old salt mine. And uh, once 
this film hit home release and uh, essentially they realized that it was getting a little bit of a cult following and doing fairly well uh, that they were going to do a director's cut and sadly when they went for it the bits and pieces were so badly disintegrated that there's truly nothing they could do uh, which is just so heartbreaking so for a 60 million dollar film they would only end up making about 42 million uh after release so as i was saying this was a deemed a critical failure in paramount's books and with the home video it seemed to gain sort of this little cult following and it's interesting because looking at it and the path that it took from the starting of the original script which actually had real aliens in it i'm glad they cut that and to them it was just too close to the film alien but to me it totally would have taken away from this idea which was a haunted house story in space and um that being said, they really go for the haunted house aspect. So, I mean, funny enough, the cast had a great time shooting this. What's the one scene they hated? The hell scene. So when they are cast, Lawrence Fishburne and so forth, are shown what it'll be like if they do ever cross the realm, that scene for them was hard to shoot. And again, you kind of have to pause it to see what they're being put through. But yeah, it's intense. Now, i got to give Sam Neill some credit here. Um, that final bit when he's wearing his little bodysuit took over eight hours to get him into that outfit. And holy shit. Like, talk about uncomfortable. That is literally a full body skin suit. It's insane. And uh, funny enough, just some fun facts. Uh, the frozen corpse that you see once, you know, they get the gravity working back on the ship that hits the ground... Well, it turns out there was quite a disgruntled special effects worker uh, and he would end up hiding a Barbie in the corpse itself. So when they did the first shots, of course, you see the Barbie pop out and they would end up having to redo it since it completely ruined it. Now, funny enough, Paramount wanted this and they end up asking Anderson way too late, but to do this film as PG or PG-13. At this point, he had been going full R rating with no qualms and uh, essentially looked at them and said, yeah, that isn't happening and there's no way in hell we could turn around. Now, all this good stuff, you know, all this good talk about the film, I do have a couple things. So, for instance, the music. Uh, Mike Kamen hired to compose the score and... Anderson, your weird taste in music. He was all into the hybrid genre music of the time and would end up inviting the electronic dance music duo Orbital to collaborate with him. And they're creating these synthesized sounds and end up doing that absolutely shitty techno over the opening and closing credits. I was not a fan whatsoever. And trying to, I mean, we're dealing with the idea of crossing into a hellish realm and I couldn't help but have some critiques about the whole space thing maybe it's just the time I spent watching the expanse but either way how did a ship keep in the atmosphere of a planet without burning up that just seemed to blow my mind maybe some of you space nerds might actually know why um why was it all the explosives down the corridor had to be set off and armed one by one it just seems like a complete waste of time and why was, you know, this corridor crazy length? Yeah, I get it. We're trying to mimic a cathedral. But in reality, 
that just would not fly. <laughs> it just would not make sense. So, and it just seemed like this long, empty, you know, hall in the middle of space where literally, you know, you're just burning extra fuel just to push the, it just did not up. And, um, of course we see it, the original crew slaughtered each other, uh, but we have limited bodies from just the one floating around to just sort of the few that were like fused into the ship itself. But really, we don't get an idea where they all went. Now, as I'd mentioned, we had a lot of things cut out of this film, and I can't help but wonder if this would help explain this scene. But when everyone's kind of, you know, the one female is running and we end up all sort of hiding in this one section of the ship, something comes like running after her and banging at the door. And that's when we see Sam Neill's character basically try to get up and go towards it. But what was that? I mean, we don't ever really elaborate on it. You know, we get the idea that the ship has a spirit, but it never manifests into anything. So I just feel like that was sort of, it needed its sister scene to basically kind of explain it and just sort of help, you know, put everything together. And last but not least, no idea that the guy who would end up directing Event Horizon is actually the same guy who did the Resident Evil films. So kind of, you know, amazing and at the same time just interesting to see where he st- where he came from. So as I was saying, this was, you know, a critical flop when it ended up being released August 15th of 1997 and to this date holds a solid 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's about a 5 out of 10. And the mix, total mixed bag of reviews. Um, but generally, putting these all together, most people, you know, agree that it starts off strong and kind of falls apart by the ending. And I have to agree. There is a couple moments where it just seems kind of like lazy writing. And for... The ship being it's this altogether future telling hellish creature, how the hell did it not see its own demise coming? I just, I don't want to give too much away for those that are listening and haven't seen the film because I do want everyone to see it. But at the same time, I'm just like, really? Really? But I can't help but feel that they did for what it is and where they're coming from, I'd love to see more like this. Uh, just um, more horror sci-fi crossovers. They are fan-fucking-tastic. Highly entertaining. Definitely occupied my 96 minutes. And I was happy while watching it. In fact, kind of gave off a bit of a, like, you know, the shining in space vibe. And just kind of, I guess, without the truly artsy decor that is a... Uh, <clears throat> Kubrick film. So guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope everyone is doing well out there. Keep insane and all that jazz. Of course, if um, you like what you heard, please leave a review. I always love to see your comments. If you've got, you know, a critique or want me to cover a certain film in particular, please send me a message on Instagram and or Twitter. And of course, guys, you know the rule. Keep calm, stay creepy.